Amen. And uh, thank you, Amy, Andrew. Good morning, friends, and uh, welcome to Bethany Northeast Online. I'm Silas Sham, Associate Pastor here, and it is truly a joy to be with you as we worship. Um, and as summer rolls on, you know, we're excited to be able to uh, be enjoying the cooler weather this week um, as the week rolls. Uh, one thing we're doing is continuing to explore the fruit of the spirit this week. That's been kind of our sermon series over the last couple weeks. And as we do so, um, before we move on and go into some content today, I do want to express and um, make sure everyone is aware. We're going to highlight it again at the eve or later on today. Um, but next Sunday, August 8th, we will not be meeting on this space online. Instead, we'll be hanging um, or having service on site in person at LCPC at 930. And we look forward to worshiping with you uh, in person there um, at a time to pray, meditate, encounter the word with each other. Uh, it'll be like our July service that happened. Um, there will be kids options available. And we're also reorganizing the space a bit. If you were there last time, you might've been looking directly in the sun. We've flipped some of the things around. So uh, it, it'll be a little um, it'll be a little less bright in that way. And we'll, we think we have it arranged so that it can be a little bit more accommodating. Um, we'll want to make sure that's on everyone's radar. So next Sunday, we won't be on the online space. We'll be on site at LCPC. Um, and then we'll continue on from there. We'll have some more online services later in the month. Um, if you have any questions, shoot me a message and we'll be able to, uh, we'll be able to connect and get you all the information you need. Okay. So want to get that out next week, August 8th on site at LCPC. Uh, but anyways, we're glad you are here today as we worship, as we continue on. Andrew, thank you for leading us in that song again, as we reflect on green pastures and um, finding rest. For this morning, um, I want you to think about if you've ever had a conversation with someone that went like this. Tell me if you've ever done this. You run into someone and you say, um, hey, it's great to see you. How are you doing? And then that person replies by saying, oh, I'm good. You know, things are good. How are you? Then you respond with, I'm good. Things are really great. Things are good. And then that's the conversation. That's where it ends. Can you relate to that? Like, does that ring a bell for anyone? I know I'm not alone in this. You've probably had this conversation before. Maybe you had it this morning. Um, it's so common. It's almost a fixture in how we communicate with each other. How are you doing? Good. How are you doing? Good. Great. Okay. Have a good day. Like that happens in our lives. And it's pretty curious, right? I mean, this is the world we live in where our default response to how are you doing is more often than not good. But if we drilled down even just one layer and asked, what do you mean by that? It's likely that no one response would be the same as another. Now, in our regular conversations, we tend to use the word good as a catch-all that lets us connect with people while keeping a bit of distance, right? Uh, maybe it's for time. Maybe it's for other reasons. But we kind of use good as a catch-all in that way. This morning, as we continue our series on the fruit of the Spirit, my sense is that 
the thing that we do when we use good as a catch-all, when we use good to keep us from diving into the nitty-gritty of life, the same applies when we talk about goodness. You know, when we talk about a fruit of the spirit, um, when we talk about goodness, the same thing applies. And this, this makes sense. When we use the word good or goodness, the ways we typically um, you know, use these words are in broad ways. They're in shapeable, malleable ways. They are both such familiar words, especially when we find ourselves in church. So think about some of the worship songs we sing that bring us to encounter uh, goodness as a concept. We have that song, Goodness of God. We've sing it, we've sung it before, where it invites us to reflect on how all my life, God, you have been faithful. All my life, you have been so, so good. With every breath that I am able, I will sing of the goodness of God. And this is a great thing to reflect on. It is right to offer praise to God, especially when we experience God's goodness. In fact, after the sermon, Andrew's going to lead us in a new song that invites us to reflect on the goodness of God in our past, our present, and in the future. And so hear me, friends, I am all for singing and preaching about the goodness of God. But in the way we talk about the goodness of God, it is important to acknowledge how our tendency, when we speak about goodness, it normally centers on being on the receiving end of God's goodness. No, my experience in church, especially growing up in Pentecostal charismatic circles, I am ordained in a Pentecostal denomination, um, that all focused on cultivating the goodness of God in my own life, in our life as Christians. And so how can I experience God's goodness? Uh, it wasn't strange to associate goodness with blessing. And then in this way, faith, spirituality, Christianity, it all becomes a means to an end to the, the kind of life I want. And it all tells me how I can have a better life filled with God's goodness. This is one framing that happens within Christianity. And especially in the tradition that raised me, that was common when we talk about God's goodness. I receive God's goodness. And here's what I can do to enhance and augment God's goodness in my life. But in contrast to this idea, this expression of Christianity, this morning, our text invites us to consider how we might talk about the goodness of God when we aren't the direct recipients of God's goodness. We're looking at the Good Samaritan story. If you uh, have been a Christian for even a little while, you've probably heard the story. In fact, even if you're not a Christian, or you didn't grow up in the church, this story probably has some kind of resonance in your life. We have laws, right, that are called Good Samaritan laws. We have things that are in our vernacular. Be a Good Samaritan. Do good things. And as we read the story, I want you to pay attention specifically to all the times that Jesus uses the word good in this story. Okay, so we're about to read it. Grab something to count. Keep track. Uh, use your fingers get a pen and paper, make a tally. But how many times does Jesus use the word good in this story? Let's look at the text. Again, this is Luke 10, 25 through 36. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. 
Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? He replied, that's Jesus. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied, do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii. And gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell in the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. All right. Now, for those who are keeping track, how many times was good or goodness used in this parable? Did anyone get three? If you did, perhaps your mind went to Luke 18, not our text, Luke 10, when Jesus answers the exact same question that the expert in the law asks, what must I do to inherit eternal life? In Luke 18, Jesus says the word good after the rich young ruler addresses him as good teacher. And that happens three times, you know, parsing out the connections between Luke 10 and Luke 18, that's a sermon for another day. But if you're interested in diving in a bit more, try exploring this week, Luke 10, Luke 18, when Jesus answers the exact same question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? There's a lot of richness between the texts um, and a lot of connections that can be made. For our passage today, Isn't it odd how your Bible probably has a subtitle, if you look it up, that calls this text the parable of the good Samaritan? And yet the words good and goodness, they aren't present here at all. They're not in the text. No one says it. It's an editorial edition, the good Samaritan, the parable of the good Samaritan. And there's nothing inherently wrong with this. Like, I do believe the text is teaching us about goodness. And to do this, this text points us towards goodness by asking us the same question that Jesus asked the expert in the law. And that's this. How do you read this? How do you read the law? And so the question for us is, how do you read this? How does this text stir up goodness within you? How might it stir up goodness within us? 
These are some fruitful questions to think about, right? One way that this parable forms us towards embodying goodness is through a reading that calls us to live out verse 37. When Jesus says, go and do likewise. That's the end of the parable. And this is a conventional reading. It's a story or it's a reading of the story that calls us to be in actors of goodness. It's a reading of the story that presses us to do good things. And this is a good reading. Again, I can't overemphasize this. This is a good reading. The embodiment of goodness that goes out of its way to self, to, to, to sacrificially care for others, to care for the hurting, to protect the vulnerable, to be present with the abandoned. This is what goodness looks like. And this is right. This is true. When we do this, we participate in the cultivation of God's goodness in the world around us. And I love how this text motivates us to do good, to be good, to be bearers of goodness. It's a timely word in this season, actually, don't you think? This is one way that the text shapes goodness within us. When we see ourselves as the Samaritan, when we read ourselves as the Samaritan who cares for others, we are living out God's goodness and embodying a part of the fruit of the Spirit. But there's another way that this text molds goodness within us. And this way might be a little more subtle, yet it's also a timely word for this season as well. Remember that this story doesn't contain the words good or goodness at all. It's not in the text. And yet, as we read it, we can't help but refer to this story as a story that's telling us about how to be good. And this little shift, right, this, there's, there's reading between the lines. It's about goodness, but it doesn't say goodness. This reading between the lines, this recognition that God's goodness is present here without ever having to label something as goodness, that's actually part of the instructive genius of this passage. You know, this text calls us to embody God's goodness without ever naming God's goodness for us. Jesus speaks to us about goodness without ever saying the word goodness. And this is so, so important to grasp. Again, the text calls us to embody God's goodness without ever naming God's goodness for us. And listen, Jesus, he presses us towards embodying goodness without naming goodness because God isn't longing for behavior modification. Let me say that again. God isn't longing for behavior modification. So Jesus presses us towards embodying goodness without naming it. Because it's not just about changing behavior. Jesus doesn't respond to the expert in the law with a checklist of things that he can do to cross off so then he can be called good. In this story, Jesus is trying to move the expert in the law. And he's also trying to move us as readers to think about goodness in ways that extend beyond what we do. What we do is important, but why we do something is just as important. And so when it comes to cultivating goodness in our own lives and in the world, we can't overlook this. If we want to embody goodness 
in the world. What I do and why I do it, they both come into the equation in equal measure. And Jesus, he speaks to us in a parable, not to trick us, not to confuse us. He speaks to us in a parable because what God really wants beyond us doing a specific set of actions is a heart for others that generates action. A heart that is so like God's that it calls us to be an actors of goodness in creative ways, in ways that encounter the world for what it is. And in this This is where the text really gets personal because it tells us that we might find goodness and goodness might find us in unexpected places. We might find goodness, goodness might find us in unexpected places. We normally read this text and distill it down to a story that tells us how to do good things, to be a good Samaritan. The, 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 the meaning of this passage, the truth of this passage comes down to doing good things. Be like the Good Samaritan. In truth, we come to this passage like how the expert in the law comes to Jesus. He reads the scriptures so that he can jump directly to action. In his case, he also jumps to self-justification. There's a problem there. But here he, he wants God to give him something so he can do something directly. And here's what God wants us to do. The Bible says this, you know, I do this, everything's good. Do this and you're good. This is what the expert's thinking. This is how we conventionally read this story. For the expert and for us, we can tend to make faith all about our individual impact on the world. But Jesus here is trying to show us that goodness extends beyond this kind of reading. God's desire for us is to be co-creators of goodness in the world. God's desire for us is to be co-creators of goodness in the world. And this is why beyond being a text that tells us just to do good things to others, this text asks us some really probing questions about goodness. And here are some of the questions. These aren't the only ones, but here are some of the questions that exist. Here's the first one. What can we learn when our enemies embody goodness in ways that our own community doesn't? What can we learn when our, own, when our enemies embody goodness in ways that our own community doesn't? When your enemy treats you better than your own faith tribe, what does that, what's that do to your own categories? Now, this is one of the questions the text asks. How can we as Christians reimagine our faith when people outside of our faith tradition um, and our faith structure embody goodness in more godlike ways than we do? Here are the three questions again. What can we learn when our enemies embody goodness in ways that our own community doesn't? When enemies treat you better than your own faith tribe, what does that do to your own categories? And then how can we as Christians reimagine our faith 
when people who are outside the faith structure embody goodness in more godlike ways than we do. Read in its contexts, this is how the parable lands on the ears of the expert of the law. Remember, the expert of the law, he's Jewish. He knows the law. He knows, uh, he, he knows the, the structure of how he should act, what you should do when you respond to something like this. And he asked Jesus a question with the intention of justifying his faith. And Jesus opens the door for him to consider what goodness looks like on the other side of his spiritual upbringing. Notice Jesus doesn't condemn him, but he does ask him to take a long, hard look at his faith. What does neighborliness look like? What does caring look like? What does goodness look like? There are other things that we could tease out here, but this is where we're going to land the plane today. This text teaches us about goodness in a variety of ways. First, it describes goodness, and that's evidence in the Samaritan's actions, in Jesus' teaching. And then it also prescribes goodness by having us evaluate our own actions in light of Jesus' teaching. This is how this text is alive and active, by the way. Right? It doesn't just tell us to follow something on the page. It invites us to bring ourselves to the text and hold it in light of what God is saying, what Jesus is saying about goodness. How might this text press us toward embodying God's goodness? I love how this text doesn't give us the end of the story. We don't know what the teacher of the law did after Jesus described such a disarming story. In many ways, I think that the text does this because it leaves each of us with a pen and asks us to write the ending with our own stories. Our reading of this story today invites us to discover how God's goodness can be found in places we don't expect to find it. The story encourages us to do good things. It also asks us to learn goodness from others. Learning from others is a humbling task. It's especially humbling when God speaks to you through people whom you've been socialized to discount. So in the course of this story, remember, the person who asked the story, he's Jewish. He's an expert in the law. He knows what should happen. And the story Jesus tells him is one where his priest and then the priestly class, they walk by the man who's been beat up. And then the person that he has been told his whole life, they don't like you. They're against you. They're your enemy. He's the one in Jesus' story who takes care of the man. And it makes the expert in the law reimagine what does it mean when I receive good things from the person who should hate me and that exceeds the goodness I receive from my own family? This story is about doing good things. It also is about what happens when your enemy treats you better than your own kin do. And where might we find examples of goodness this week that do just that, that inspire goodness in our own lives? As we, speak, as we seek to embody goodness, may we be attentive to the movement of the Spirit and discern how Christ invites us towards wholeness as we reflect God's fullness in the world around us. 
this is my prayer for us this week. And this is the reading that I felt so pressed to offer this morning. Again, goodness in this text plays out in a variety of ways. It's described, and then it's also prescribed. It's prescribed on our lives. How can we jump in with God to have a heart for God that extends beyond us versus them distinctions? And it extends and presses us into goodness in the world around us that exceed the the way that we've even been formed within, um, within church structures, within religious structures. This is the spirituality that's being pressed on us. Can we embody it? And can we do that as we continue our series, learning about the fruit of the spirit, continue our series to figure out how all these things, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control, how we can bring all these things into our lives and into the world around us. This is the question this text presses on us without ever naming it as good. And so friends, receive this word and let it work on you. Let it, let it meditate and ruminate within you. And as it does so, may it produce, may it generate goodness in your life and in your life, uh, in, in the lives of those around us. Let's pray for a moment. Holy God, thank you for the gift of this day, for this time where we can reflect on your word, where we can read your word. And as we say almost every week, where you can read us. And we pray that as we reflect and consider what goodness even is, that you would help us discover it in surprising ways, in surprising places, and that you would make us people and bearers of goodness in the world. Give us ears to hear, eyes to see, and hearts to be sensitive and open to how you are moving around us. Press us towards goodness. That is a scary prayer, but do it, Lord. And may we be open to all the ways that you are revealing yourself through the humanity of others, calling us into the deep and having us walk with you when when things feel unstable. God, this is our prayer and this is our hope. We pray this with Christ by the Spirit. And everyone said, amen.